Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is sponsored by SJNL General Contractors. They are licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee, and they provide services such as mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you need any of these services, contact them 931-433-4660, 931-433-4660. Also, they are in need of heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, CDL dump truck drivers, and pipe layers. If you're interested in employment with this family-owned business, you can go to the website www.sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. On January 10th, 2009, the fog had enveloped Kill Mountain and visibility was really limited. It was unusually warm for a January day, and I was 25 feet up in a red oak tree. Soupy mist of fog swirled around me, and I was sitting in this tree knowing that even if I saw a deer, I probably wasn't going to shoot it. If I saw a deer, it was probably going to be that little seven point that I had seen on three other occasions. Maybe next year he'll be big enough to shoot with a bow. Maybe my dad will get to see him, and maybe my dad will get a chance to shoot him. About 4.30 p.m., I heard a twig snap, that unmistakable sound of a large animal walking in the woods, and I took the safety of my Ruger M77 Mark II .30-06 rifle from the full safety to the half-safety position. Then the woods exploded with activity. Several does came up from the valley, and sure enough, they were being pursued by this little buck, and they ran around my tree. The one doe had her head lowered to the ground, her tail tucked, and she was running low and frenzied. And the little buck was bouncing around on all fours like Pepe Le Pew. He kind of looked like a mule deer. <laughs> the show ended as quickly as it had begun. The deer were there. They made two or three laps around my tree, and they vanished, and it returned super quiet. With the fog, darkness would come early, and it was time to go. I unloaded my rifle and lowered it to the ground and started to climb down. I'd only been out here since 3 o'clock. Actually, I left the house at 3 o'clock because Jackie had decided to take a nap. I'd rushed up the mountain. I'd walked into this area and saw where the leaves had been torn up in circles like somebody had been making donuts in four-wheelers. I thought to myself, the bucks are chasing does. As I climbed down after my quote-unquote hunt of two hours, I just laughed at myself. Why did you come out here? Why did you drive all the way up this mountain, pack all this stuff in here, walk in here, climb a tree to sit for less than two hours? Why did you come out here knowing that even if you saw anything, you probably weren't going to shoot it anyway? I knelt, was packing my stand in. I looked out over the little draw, the hardwood flat the little stream, the fog, the rocks. And I was talking to myself, and I answered the question, why did you come out here knowing that you probably weren't going to shoot anything? The answer was because one of these days, you're going to climb out of a tree, and it'll be the last time. 
Now, it probably won't be on purpose. It probably won't be intentional. It probably won't be planned. But it will be the last time. (laughs) Who knew? On January the 15th, 2009, with the intention of driving to Anniston, Alabama and hunting in a little area called Nubbin Creek, at 9 a.m., I stopped at a ammo shop to pick up some bullets for my pistol. And upon entering the store, my large intestine ruptured. Apparently, I'd had an infection in that area of my sigmoid colon, the large intestine, for some time. Maybe it had been rotting from the inside out for a number of years and nobody had detected it. It had abscessed and ruptured, spilling bowel content into my abdominal cavity. I've never hurt that bad in my life. I felt like somebody was dragging barbed wire through my lower back and and someone had run a large-tip screwdriver down certain parts of my loins. I managed to drive myself to the local hospital. It was 14 degrees. The windows in my truck were rolled down. Every so often, I would have to stop and grip the steering wheel to keep from graying out. My first intention was just to get to my dad's house. You, you always think that when you're hurt, if I could just get home. But as I struggled to stay awake and struggled to deal with the pain, I saw the sign for the regional medical center in Anniston, Alabama. And I drove myself to it and walked in. Now, when I got out of my truck at the ER, I realized, you've got a climbing stand back here. You've got a box full of hunting clothes and hunting gear. I can't donate that to the residents of Anniston, Alabama. So I unloaded my truck, put them in the back seat before walking in. After the CAT scan, it was determined that I needed emergency surgery. And they called Dr. Sellers in from his deer hunt or his duck hunt. I was the one deer hunting. They called Dr. Sellers in from his duck hunt, and he performed the surgery. He explained to me what he was going to do. He said, apparently, you've had a rupture in something, and and my guess is it's going to be your intestines, and you'll wake up, and when you wake up, you'll have a colostomy bag. Uh, It could be temporary. It could be permanent. You could wear it six months. You could wear it six weeks. You could wear it the rest of your life. We'll have to see what's going on when we get in there. Well, that day was kind of a blur for me. Uh, I I remember things that Jackie said didn't didn't happen. Uh, I remember my brother standing at the foot of the bed. I remember seeing my my cousin Jeremy, who who's a state trooper, standing there in his uniform. I remember seeing Troy Farmer, the guy that I rock climbed with, my dear close friend and brother Troy Farmer, walk by the door in his full motorcycle outfit carrying that that helmet in his hand and just peeking in the door and walking past it and, and I remember saying hey somebody get Troy Jackie said that never happened Troy said he didn't have to talk to me he just needed to put eyes on me I remember Lonnie Beth walking in and I was lying in the bed and I had tubes in my nose and tubes in my mouth and a catheter I had tubes everywhere and I remember her walking in and going, that's not my dad, and walking out. It, it, it gave me a new perspective on how Peter could deny the Lord. You see, 
Jesus is standing there and a minimum wage page Roman soldier slaps him and, and nothing happens. You see, Peter had seen Jesus tell the storm to lie down, the dead to get up and the demons to get out. And, and this mercenary has slapped Jesus and nothing happened. I could see how Peter could go, I, I don't know that guy. Lonnie Beth, my own daughter, looked at her dad who at times has thought of me as a hero has always seen me as strong. She'd never seen me helpless. I, I understand how you could go, I don't know that man. She said, that's not my dad, and walked out. Now, Jackie says, I wasn't conscious enough to remember any of that, but I remember that. By Monday morning, this all happened on a Thursday, by Monday morning, they were pulling tubes out, the young nurse came in and she said, well, you look a lot younger than you did when they brought you in here. I said, oh, you were in here when I came in? She goes, I was in the ER with you. I was in the, the OR with you. I, I helped Dr. Sellers at the surgery. I said, really? I said, can, can you tell me what they did to me? She said, do you really want to know? I, well, yeah, I, I would like to know the procedure. She said, well, I stood on your right side. Dr. Sellers made an incision and I held your internal organs up while they sprayed you out with water and, and vacuumed the contents of your cavity out. Oh, so we're special friends. <laughs> uh, that changed the dynamics of our relationship immediately. Yeah, they, they cut me over. They field dressed me like a deer. Dr. Seller says he removed 18 inches of diseased colon. And then he took part of my intestine and tacked it to the abdominal wall. And then he ran the part of my colon attached to my stomach through a hole that you could put three fingers in just below my ribs and beside my belly button and attached a colostomy bag. And that was going to be how I managed certain functions in my life with having a, a bag that caught my excrement hanging outside my body. To say the least, it, it was inconvenient. Sometimes it was painful. And sometimes it was humiliating. And I, being me, I, I did have some, some fun with it. Uh, uh, I remember I started wearing over-large pants and suspenders so that the bag would hang inside the, uh, the the pants and then people wouldn't see it. And I got into this habit of standing up and, and smoothing down my front to make sure that everything was in place and there were no bulges and that nothing was snagged. I remember being with some friends and standing up and rubbing the front of that bag and stopping going, hmm, when did I have corn last? <laughs> uh, I was mad. I, I remember going to the last doctor who saw me. I was actually at the doctor's office on Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. And my intestines ruptured on Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, this particular doctor was careless at best. And I remember th being mad and, and being angry. And I was considering 
maybe suing somebody. Dr. Sellers said it really wasn't anybody's fault. He said what had happened was on the outside of my colon wall. He said we couldn't have found that if we had been looking for it. But before Dr. Sellers had talked me into some, I don't know, some calmness, I went. I, I walked into this place uh, and said, look, I need my medical records. They already knew that I had had emergency surgery and that there might have been a, a, a faux pas on their part, or at least that they just didn't take my symptoms seriously. And the nurse had been instructed, I suppose, to, to give me a hard time. She said, well, we can't give you your medical records. I said, well, your, my medical records belong to me. And so I think I'll take them. And she said, well, we'll, we'll uh, it'll be a two-day process and there'll be a fee. I said, no, no, no. I'm not going to give you a chance to redact my medical records. We're going to get my medical records right now. She said, well, sir, you can't do that. I said, tell you what I'll do. I'll just wait in your lobby. And I sit down in the lobby and I unbutton my shirt. If you're sitting in a doctor's office and you have 29 staples running down the front of your abdomen, and you have a colostomy bag hanging out above your pants, they'll get your medical records in about 15 minutes. <laughs> oh, man, my stomach was so messed up. The scarring that they had done. That uh, Apparently, when you do emergency surgery, you don't worry about cutting a, a straight line. My, my friend that I work out with, some named Bob DeNoon, would go, Lonnie, put your shirt on. Your, your belly looks like the map of Pike's Peak. Uh, I, I remember wanting so badly not to miss the annual conference that I have been a guest at for, for as of now, 20 years. Back in those days, it wasn't hardly that many, but, but eight weeks after I had the surgery, I was still able to go and speak at Challenge Youth Conference at CYC uh, up in Pigeon Forge. My daughter had been assigned to go with me because Jackie wouldn't let me drive anywhere by myself like I need a babysitter. I remember walking up the hill uh, toward the conference center because in the old Gatlinburg conference center, there's terrible parking. So you just leave your hotel and walk up. It was cold. It was spitting snow. And maybe my exertion to come up the hill was a little more than maybe I'd planned on. And as the audience, now there's 10,000 people in this room. And I've got the Garth Brooks headset uh, microphone on because, you know, I'm going to keynote that Sunday morning. And I remember as the audience stood to sing, and we're going to sing this song, I'm going to take the stage, I felt that bag slide. And I knew it had turned loose. And I, I walked into the men's room. I, I hung my jacket on the stall door. I took my shirt off. I took my T-shirt off. I always carried an extra shirt and an extra T-shirt and an extra kit to repair this gasket that was on my side. My shirts were ruined. I just wadded them up and threw them away. But I couldn't get the other gasket on because of the uh, the special glue that was around the opening. Uh, so I went out, put, put my T-shirt back on, went went out to the sound room booth, and, and I borrowed a guy's X-Acto knife, one of those little fold-out blades with a, with a razor blade on it. And I'm standing in the men's room at this conference, shirtless, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I've got this gap in my side. You can put three fingers in, and I'm trying to scrape glue off of it in the mirror. And some teenage kid walked in. He paused. His eyes flew open wide. I looked at him. I pointed the exacto and said, you're next. And he ran out. He'd probably never been back to CYC. But I repaired the thing, sucked up my pride, and spoke on a stage in front of 10,000 people with poop 
on my shirt under my jacket. Very, very humbling thing. I realized that my life had possibly been altered. I'd climbed my last tree for the 2008-2009 hunting season. I could have very easily been on my way to have taken my last step, kissed my wife for the last time, and never had a chance to hug my daughter again. None of those things were my intention for January 15, 2009. Nonetheless, the reality of such events is very sobering. I went from being a runner, a hunter, a snowboarder, a rock climber, and a guy who does jujitsu, to my daily routine was get up and fold my cot because I couldn't sleep in the bed. I couldn't get out of a bed that was soft because of my abdominal muscles. I'd fold my cot. I'd bundle up and go for a walk. I'd come home and write thank you notes to all the people who'd sent me cards and letters. I'd walk around the yard with a child's bow and shoot trash from the mailbox. And then I would make the little string people that I perfected and invented while I had nothing else to do. And then I'd watch TV. I watched so much CSI, I thought I was their chaplain. You know, one of these days, all of us will have our last day, our last whatever. Now, I'm very fortunate that I recovered. I'm doing this podcast on kind of the 12th year anniversary of those events. Uh, By the time you hear this, Friday the 15th will have passed, and it will have been 12 years, assuming that I'm here for this podcast to be launched. But all of us will have our last day. For, For the majority of us, it will not be intentional. It will not be premeditated or come with much warning. But in reality... We have been warned. It is appointed unto man once to die, the scriptures say. One of my favorite movies is is a movie that features Antonio Banderas, and he's a, a, a an Arabian poet, and he gets attached to a group of adventuring Vikings, and they're supposed to attack or fight these mysterious monsters who come out from the fog and the mountains. Uh, One of the scenes in the movie, and it's funny that the Vikings uh, have British accents in this movie, but they see this uh, group of guys way off in the distance coming on the fog uh, in shrouded mountains, and all all the riders are carrying torches, and the Vikings think it's a dragon. They call it the fire worm. Well, Antonio Banderas rides out to get this little girl out of the field before the dragon gets there. They see a child walking, and he rides out and, and comes back and jumps the gate of the fortifications, and he looks at, at the, the Viking that is his friend, and the guy looks at him, and he goes, is it a dragon? And Antonio Banderas says, no, it's Calvary. And the Viking laughs and says, huh, I'd rather really prefer a dragon. But as this overwhelming force is approaching them, and they're going to make their last stand. They're, they're either going to survive or be wiped out to the man. The character played by Antonio Banderas prays a prayer to his God. And although his prayer to this foreign God is, it's not the one true God. Uh, 
in this cheesy B movie, the words of that prayer are pretty elegant. The words of that prayer are pretty, pretty eloquent. And it sums up my thoughts on, on the topic of my injury and my possible small brush with death pretty, pretty good. Antonio Banderas says, Merciful Father, I have squandered my days with plans of many things. This was not among them. But at this moment, I beg only to live the next few minutes well. For all we ought to have thought and have not thought. All we ought to have said and have not said. All we have ought to have done and have not done. I pray thee, God, for forgiveness. I want to think the unthought. I, I want to say the unsaid. I want to do the not done. So that the last time I leave home, the last time I preach, the last time I lay down to sleep, the last time I climb a tree, board down a snow-covered hill, climb a rock, or see my family, there will be no unfinished business with any person or my God. All of us will one day have a last time at something. What will you do with the next time if you have one? My friend Daryl Pickle, who is the captain of the boat that we use when we go bow fishing, often starts or ends our adventures by watching the sunset or the sunrise. And, and very regularly he'll look at, at us and go, Gentlemen, that's a sunset. There's a limited number of those. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a hug. There's a limited number of those. That's a sunrise. There's a limited number of those. That's a sunset. There's a limited number of those. That's a rainbow. There's a limited number of those. That's a full moon. There's a limited number of those. That's a phone call to your dad. There's a limited number of those. That's an afternoon with your grandchildren. There's a limited number of those. That's a blank. There's a limited number of those. There are 32 miles of cave passages in Cumberland Cavern. 333 feet underground is the Volcano Room. The Volcano Room is the site for the youth rally known as Erupt. It's an underground youth rally. It's an annual event. It takes place in October. The next Erupt is scheduled for October of 2021. Erupt is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. If you'd like more information, you may contact them at eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. That's eruptyouthrally at gmail.com. Or check out their website for more information. Three W's and a dot. Eruptyouthrally.com www.eruptyouthrally.com